Julie Van Warmer, your host on today's episode of Unshaken. Today's episode is number seven in season two, and it's called Finding Peace in Spite of the Past. Do you like a good story? I have mentioned before how much I love to hear people's stories. I'm always, always, always encouraged to listen to how people have dealt with challenges and circumstances and how God has led them right through those circumstances and how God has been with them in dark days. It's always an encouragement to me. Now, today's podcast is going to focus on that exact thing. Maybe a few months ago, you listened to our podcast called The Heart of Racism. It was with my dear friend, Marlisa Sanchez. Now, she's a black woman, and her story is important to understanding where she's coming from when she talked about racism in that podcast. So I actually know we're going a little backwards, but sometimes in life, we just have to go with the flow, okay? So I encourage you to listen today to this podcast about Marlisa's life and her growing up years in the Deep South, and like a thread is woven all throughout her life to show how God was with her through all of her days. And then maybe you wanna go back and listen to The Heart of Racism if you didn't get a chance to listen to that today. Now today's podcast is set up in an interview style with a mutual friend, Allie Doherty, who does the interviewing, not me. And and she does a great job, by the way. And um, this happened at the Regarding Him conference in 2018, so um, hey, Let's just jump right in and listen to how you and I can find peace in spite of our past. All right, good afternoon, ladies. I'm really glad that you're here and that you're with us today. Um, so today we're going to hear Marlisa's story, her testimony, in a way where we're going to be talking and interacting, and so we just invite you to join us in this story. Um, so everything has a story, like even this coffee cup here, it has a story. It was formed and fired and it was shipped to the store and then I picked it up and I poured my coffee in it. But those are just the basic facts about this coffee mug. Every person has a story too. And what we wanna do is just share those basic facts. We don't wanna share the things that cause shame or invoke fear. We, um, we just wanna keep those things to ourselves. But what it does is it helps other people get to know us. And I think it's fascinating when we can get to know other people and we can hear what God has done in their lives. Um, so we may not have all had the same trial or the same illness or the same family history, um, but we all have the same need in Jesus Christ. And so today we want to go beyond those facts and hear how when we share them we can hear how people have not only survived but are thriving through that and can share not only where they've been but where they hope to go so today marlisa is going to share with us her story um marlisa could you tell us about your family here in toledo so i have been married to my husband octavio for nine years as of Two days ago, so crazy after that. Um, we have five children. Our oldest is 11. She is our only girl, and we have the rest boys. So from seven to eight months. So 
Um, we've lived in Toledo for about seven years. Okay. So if you've only lived in Toledo seven years, where are you originally from? Um, I'm born and raised in Louisiana. And actually, the first town I lived in was separated by railroad tracks. It was so small. Um, you had the predominantly white side and you had the predominantly black side. And on the black side, I was related to every single person on every street. So one family, and that's the Lewises. Not related to them. But yeah. All right, so if we start at your beginning, can you tell us a little bit about your parents? Okay, so my mom has schizophrenia, so. Um, her mental illness really affected the decisions she made growing up. Um, one of those decisions was to drop out of school in the ninth grade in fear that she would fail, um, when in reality she really was going to pass. But um, this led her to go to a school that was three hours away from where we lived, and the school was designed to help young students to attain their GED and get job training so that they can still go out and work. Um, there she met my dad, who also has schizophrenia, and so we have two people with mental illness, lovebirds, and she gets pregnant. Um, he was working a Pizza Hut job and paying for her stay at a motel and just kind of bringing the food from his work to take care of her. Um, when it was close to the time that I would be born, he realized, whoa, I can't take care of you and this baby. I think I need to send you to your family. Um, and just pay for you to get on a bus. He didn't want to, but for him that was the loving thing to do because he knew he wouldn't be able to provide. Um, so she went back home and um, so fun fact is my mom was actually babysitting her nieces and nephews. Um, my aunt went on a hot date with her husband and I decided to be born. And so my mom's like, hey, you gotta come back home. This baby is coming. And so every now and then when I meet my aunt, she reminds me of how I ruined her date. <laughs> I know, aunt, you told me. But um, so when I was born, my dad had also stopped going to that school and he got into a lot of trouble and ended up in prison pretty much my whole life. Um, when I was about Five, I remember getting a collect call because we were back and forth at my grandparents' house. Um, and it was from my dad, and I remember my grandparents were just angry because they were just like, this is a horrible man. I don't want him calling. I don't want him to have any contact whatsoever with my granddaughter. And so I didn't get to talk to him on the phone anymore, and so he found another way to contact me through another relative, and he would mail me letters. Um, he wasn't the artsy type like my mom, so he would have his friend inmates draw me pictures and make me different things. Um, and then that relative got tired of receiving things and being the middle person and she's like, okay, we gotta cut this off. And so then I just received nothing else from him. Um, but during those times, my mom really, she did a good job at reminding me like, your dad loves you. He really does love you. And so when people would say negative things, I would just kind of block it out and just remember, no, my mom's telling me that my dad loves me, and I believe what she said, so. That's really encouraging to hear your mom speaking your dad that way, not when everyone else had it. Um, did you live mostly then with your mom growing up? So yes and no, um, because like I mentioned, she had a mental illness. So this means she was in and out of the hospital. Um, she'd be in for three months, out for three months, in for three months, out, and it just kind of rotated over the years. Like that was just, the cycle. <clears throat> so she had seven siblings. Um, 
when I was six, my grandparents, um, well, my grandmother died, and then the following year, my grandfather died. And so she was completely dependent on her oldest of those seven siblings, um, my uncle, which was a very negative man. And he was very good at reminding my mom how much she sucked as a human being. And <clears throat> even as a child, just reminding me, okay, you're going to be just like your mom when you grow up. You're going to have kids. You're not going to know who their dad is. Um, you're just not going to be anything. You're just never going to amount to much. And so um, he was the one that kind of stepped in and took care of her finances because with her illness, she's still kind of childlike. And so she's not the most responsible person. Um, and so he was the one that kind of took me to the different houses, um, whichever one of my aunts or uncles that were willing to take me in. I knew it was approaching those times of change when my mom would get really depressed, um, uncontrollably, just crying, just really sad. And so that's kind of when I knew, okay, I'm about to go somewhere. I don't know where, but some change is happening right now. Um, and all the homes were really different but all very dysfunctional. And so we had the one house that was extremely dirty. It was filthy. Um, when I went to school, I had to shake my backpack or roaches would just crawl out and that would just be embarrassing. And then there was the house that had like money, um, taking like the trips to different places. Christmas was amazing because they had all the presents and they included me. Um, but, so I borrowed from that lifestyle, because just growing up in poverty, it was like, okay, now I can have a moment to live the good life. Um, and all that money was from embezzlement, and that destroyed their marriage. And then there was the, the very perfect house, where you just couldn't mess this house up. Don't touch stuff, just be a good little girl, keep my house perfect. Um, and growing up, there was always stories from my mom or my aunts that um, there was just sexual abuse that happened to so-and-so. And so even though I didn't know much about sexual abuse, I knew that it was a normal thing to go on in my family. <clears throat> and even though that house was so perfect, that was the house where I was this close to being a victim to sexual abuse. And if I told you this story, you would know it was only God's protection that kept that from even happening. And so I'm That's amazing. It just shows you that God was with you in all those different circumstances. It reminds me of in the Psalms where David's talking about in Psalm 139 where he says, you hem me in behind and before and your hand is upon me. So that's mm -hmm. really neat to see God do that for you. How did it make you feel being away from your mom so much? Um, well, that was extremely difficult because as a child, you don't really understand mental illness. And so for me, it was like, well, if you love someone so much, like that love alone should drive you to do whatever you have to do to be with that person. And for my mom, that wasn't the case. She was constantly in the hospital. And I thought, well, if she loves me as much as she says she does, she should try and stay out. And so I just didn't get it. I was really just confused. So, What was it like when your mom was well then? Being with my mom when she was well meant there's going to be days when you're not going to eat. There's going to be nights you're going to, you're going to miss meals. You're going to go without basic school supplies, clothes, shoes. Because with her, it was cigarettes are really important. I need to spend my money on these things that I feel that I need. 
even if that means neglecting my responsibility as a mother. And so um, it was just, just poverty, you know. The home we lived in was falling apart. It was just um, not the ideal childhood. But one thing, she was a very free-spirited artist. She was really good at drawing cartoon characters. and So she would draw me little paper dolls, and she'd make the clothes for the dolls so that i have things to play with. She would go outside and um, make me flower necklaces and jump ropes and teach me how to do cartwheels. And hers was perfect, and I can never, ever do it like my mom did. So. Um, that struggle was real now, but <laughs> she, what she did do was teach me how to pray. And with her mental illness, she would overdo things. So she loves cigarettes, but she won't smoke one pack. She will smoke a carton a week. Um, in the same way, she, as soon as I learned to read, she grabbed that King James Version Bible and gave it to me, and she said, now you read. And I'd read the next chapter. And I read again, and it's like, Mom, am I done yet? It's like, no, keep reading. So she would just kind of overdo it, and I hated it. Um, but now I'm, I'm grateful that she she made me read that Bible. So. That's good. <laughs> Were there things then from your childhood that did stay with you as you grew up? Um, so there was two incidences where, one, I was 11 years old. And my mom decided to go to church with my aunt and leave me home with my uncle, leave me and my brother. My uncle was completely drunk. I don't even think he was aware that we were even in the house. Um, so as soon as they went to church, I saw this money laying around. I was like, oh, I'm going to go get me some candy at the store. He's not going to know I left. My brother's watching cartoons. So it'll be good. I'll be right back. Um, I went to the store, got my candy, came back. I tried to wake up my brother so that he can, you know, share some of this good stash of candy I brought back home. And he he was knocked out. He was sleeping. Um, so my aunt came back, my mom, and they're like, well, how long has Jacob been sleeping? And I was like, uh, not that long, because I couldn't tell him that I left and I went to the store. So my aunt comes out of the room, and she's holding this empty pill bottle. Um, and she's like, I think he got a hold of my antidepressants. And so many people in my family have mental illnesses. Um, so we went to the emergency room and we realized that he was not sleeping. He was in a coma. <clears throat> and so here I am, 11 years old. I'm sitting in the emergency room. And I can see across the hall this room and this police officer who is just drilling my mom and just yelling in her face and trying to get her to admit to things that she couldn't answer because she had no idea. She wasn't even at the house. And I'm thinking, <sighs> this is all my fault. Why did I have to go get candy? I should have stayed home. I should have did this, this, you know. And so that was um, really difficult because growing up, social services were always checking in, checking out on us. So this moment, they were really watching and really keeping an eye on my mom. And it was in my head because of me. Um, so the next year and a half or so, my mom had another daughter and she was sick and we went to the hospital. And um, while at the hospital, my mom had her smoking spot outside at this little cement bench and she would sit and smoke and I would just play. And um, on our way back to the room to go check on my sister, that negative uncle shows up. 
Now, all throughout life, he's telling my mom, you know, one day they're gonna take your children. Well, this day he came and he approached my mom and he said, you know they're getting ready to take away your children. And she was in denial and she's like, no, 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 that's not true, no, they're not. And he's like, no, like, I'm dead serious. They're on their way right now to take your children. Um, and so, these two women walk in and reality set in and it was kind of like, this really is happening. And so my mom just threw herself on the hospital bed, um, just as helpless as she could possibly be. You could see her whole world just shattered to pieces. Um, she just said nothing. She stared at the ceiling and tears just began to fall down her face. And I had already conditioned myself to not cry. And if I did cry, you couldn't know about it because I wasn't gonna let you see me cry. But I knew I could not watch my mom in that state. And so I grabbed my two-year-old brother. We, um, we go out to the, the spot that was familiar to me where she would always smoke. And I sat where she would sit and I just cried because I'm, I'm holding my brother's hand. I'm thinking like, this could be the last time I ever see him. And, and it really was, I have not seen him to this day. Um, we were all separated. He ended up lost in the system. Um, by the time everything was finalized, I was about 13 years old. And I ended up at my aunt's house. And in my mind, I'm just staying at my aunt's house until mom gets better and we'll all be reunited. I had no idea that my aunt adopted me. Um, I found out a few years ago, actually. Most adoptions take place in the courtroom. However, they were so desperate to get me adopted, they were like, listen, we understand you don't have a car. We'll just mail you the papers, just sign it, get it back to us, it'll be official, done deal. And so she never told me because she didn't want me to grow bitter towards her. And honestly, I always thought I was going home. So if she would have told me I was never going home, my story probably would be a little different right now. So I'm actually grateful she didn't tell me. That's a lot of things to hold on to, just as a young girl, even up until <clears throat> age 13. Yeah, um, so it was a lot because I held on to a lot of guilt. Um, and I just thought, you know what? I'm just going to be the worst niece. And I am not going to do well in school. And I'm going to be disrespectful to all my teachers. I got kicked out of class a lot. Um, in fact, okay, one time I was like not at school for a long time and I went back and the principal was like, oh, Marlisa, I am so proud of you. And I was like, okay, what, what did I do? <laughs> I have not had you in the office for like a month straight. <laughs> and I was thinking, that's because I wasn't here. <laughs> but whatever, I'll take it. So. <laughs> um, so like I said, my aunt adopted me when I was 13. Now I'm 14 and I'm still at my aunt's house. And it's kind of like, okay, this obviously isn't working because I'm still here. She did not get tired of me and send me home yet. So something kind of clicked in my head. And I thought, you know what? I'm really fed up. I'm angry because everyone's controlling my life. You know, I have the government come in and pull me apart from my family that I love. And I just thought, how do they even have the power to do this? And so in my mind, I was just like, I'm done. From now on, this moment forward, I'm going to control my life. And um, so I grew up playing basketball. and. 
I hung around boys a lot. And one of the things I observed with boys is the way they handle conflict versus the way girls handle conflict. And girls are just kind of like, yep, 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 yep. And boys are just like, dude, let's just fight about it and move on. <laughs> and <laughs> I thought, I want to be like the boys. And so I created this motto that may sound stupid, but it was, if you don't like me, fight me. And I thought, I'm going to do whatever I want. And if you ask me, I'm going to tell you the truth because this is what I want to do. If you don't like it, we can fight about it. And thank God, he did not allow me to get in any fights when I made that my motto. Got in a lot before that, but when I, when I was serious about it, I was like, no, you're not getting in fights. <laughs> so how did you see God then protect you through this time of rebellion? Well, I mentioned that I liked basketball. So um, growing up, I was always, always playing basketball, even in the freezing cold. I would get bronchitis every single winter because I was out in the freezing cold, and I would still keep going back. Because um, for me, what motivated me was I need to make it to the WNBA because I got to buy my mom a house. I got to get her out of the projects and give her a good life. So for a time, that just kind of kept me away from drugs. Because I thought, you know, I'm going to be good at basketball. I can't do drugs. Um, there was also a lot of death around me. And um, we're talking a serial killer in a small little town. And he was murdering women and torturing them. And some of these women I went to school with hung out on the same dangerous streets that they did. And I'm still here talking to you today. God protected me from all of that. Um, when I was about 18 to 19, I was big into hip-hop and um, writing poetry and raps and wanting to kind of experience something so that I can at least write about my life. And um, one of those things was ecstasy, which is really popular down south. Um, and especially in the area in which we lived because no one wanted to live in that reality. You want to escape that reality. And so that was just a normal thing to do. And of all the times saying no to drugs, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm gonna try it. And um, that only took one time for me to know we're not trying this again. Um, and, and that's God's goodness to me because my family has really strong addictive behaviors. And so um, then I got pregnant and that was not an accident. And um, when I was about five months pregnant, I was hanging around one of my older cousins, and she she lived on marijuana. Like, she could not function without it. And her house was the drug house where we lived. So there was always people in and out making drug deals. And I was at the house every single day. And every single day, they were smoking marijuana. And hey, you want some? And I'm just like, no, no, every day, no, no. And then one day, she's like, you know, because she was pregnant too. And she's like, you know, my doctor knows I smoke marijuana. And he says it's perfectly fine. So, you know, it's just a plan. You can smoke marijuana and be OK. And so for whatever stupid reason, I was like, all right, I'm going to try it. So I'm five months pregnant, and I'm trying marijuana. And um, God protected me and my daughter. Because uh, and even in coming here to Christ's Word in a Sunday school lesson, um, they were teaching about drugs, and they said it only takes one time to try marijuana before you start having psychotic episodes. 
And with my family history, that could have been my moment. I could have just been completely a different person and forever changed, and God did not allow that to happen. There was also, um, while pregnant and still trying marijuana, um, the father of my unborn child at the time suggested that I have an abortion, and he allowed his girlfriend to say something unkind towards my child, and that was it. Something clicked, and I'm like, I called my sisters, I was like, you got those weapons? Pack them up, let's go to her house. And I had my story, and I was ready to do some damage. Mm -hmm. And my sister was ready to do some damage, and I'm big and pregnant, and I'm going to fight. The father, the girlfriend, we were just ready. And so, my sister, she goes knock on the door, and some guy answers, she's like, she's not home right now, but she'll be back soon. And so we thought, well, we'll wait. We will wait in this car until she comes home. And we're just waiting and waiting, and she never showed up. And so it was like, forget this, let's go. And so, again, God, if I look back, I can see God did not allow my plans to happen because I could have been a prison mom. My daughter could have got injured. Um, so much could have happened, and God said no. He's not allowing this to take place, so praise God. Um, let's switch gears a little bit. Our parents often shape our view of God. How have your parents done this for you? Um, so I like how you said that our parents shape our view of God. Because a lot of times we think, well, I didn't have godly parents, so they didn't shape my view of God. But that's false. Um, your parents indeed shape your view of God, whether it's positive or negative. And so for me, I didn't grow up with a father. But my mom always told me that he loved me. And so she also told me of my Heavenly Father's love towards me. And one of the ways she would do this is every single time, every single time she told me that she loved me, it was always followed by, but God loves you more. And I remember thinking, man, God must really love me because my mom loves me a lot. And so, but it was a flawed view of love because my dad was distant, so in my head, God was distant, so he loves me, but he's distant. Um, and that was until I actually met my dad. So you actually did get then reunited with your dad? I did. Um, there was a point where I was just like, okay, this just needs to happen. I need to find him. And I just grabbed a phone book. I remember the town that I heard he was from. And I found the last name, which was Bullock. And I don't know if I'm related to Sandra Bullock. <laughs> when I was a kid, I was like, what if I am? I have a white cousin. <laughs> halfway house because he had been in prison all life but when I found him he was like halfway out which was making some progress um initially I just wanted to have a nice conversation with my dad but all the anger just kind of spilled out and I was just so angry I'm just like why didn't you find me I found you you could have found me and um he was really gracious and just listening and reminding me listen I, I did try to stay in contact with you but everyone cut me off and so um but after we got that all out and open we had a really good relationship for about six years um because he passed away at the age of 43 which is a really young age um during this time even though he lived three hours away he made sure to be there when my daughter was born um at 2 30 p.m and my son was born at 10 a.m 
So when he arrived at 2.30 on that day, he's like, well, if you would have had the baby on time at 2.30 like you did with the first baby, I didn't want to do it. So it's like, Dad, I can't control that. So, um, so it was just really neat to see my children get to experience my dad because I didn't get that chance to do that. Um, two months prior to his death, we were not on speaking terms, and um, we had a family conflict. And that wasn't normal for us because we talked on the phone like every single day. So we had this two months where we're not talking. And when I see this Louisiana number, I'm thinking, oh, it's my dad. And it was his sister telling me that he was dead. And this, is, um, this isn't initially in this talk. But just take it as a reminder that life is but a vapor. It truly is. And if you have relationships that need healing, don't wait for the perfect scenario. Because I did not get that. And it caused a lot of anger towards God. And I was just so upset that he would allow my dad to pass away before I could even call him and make things right. And so now I view it as God's goodness because God knows the number of our days. And he knew my dad would die at a young age. And he could have allowed it that I would contact my father's side of the family long after he was dead. But God graciously gave me six years to experience my earthly father's love. And so for that, I see God's goodness and I'm grateful. It's great to see God's blessing and giving you exactly what you needed. I'm just struck when I hear your story about how like so many people thought your mom wasn't well enough to care for you in, in certain ways that may be true, but at the same time, she gave you everything you needed spiritually. She gave you the foundation of God's word and knowing of your father's love, and those things are priceless. And just having that time with your dad is exactly what you needed. And like you mentioned, being having that time with your grandkids, with his grandkids, is extremely important. Um, was there, what was the turning point then when you saw your need for God? Um, the turning point was after the birth of my daughter. Um, it was about two weeks after I brought her home, and I was just laying in my bed with her on my lap at my mom's house in the projects, no car, no job. Just nothing, just my baby. And I was looking at her perfect little fingers and her perfect little toes, and I thought, wow, like only a guy could create something this detailed and beautiful. And what popped into my head was, what have I done? Like, I just brought this child into this wicked world, and she did not ask to be here. And my life right now is leading her straight to hell. And then my mom's words popped up in my head, God loves you more. And I thought, well, this is true for my daughter. And I thought, okay, I love, 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 love this child. And God, you love her more than I do. Like I couldn't, like, I couldn't comprehend. That kind of love was just like far beyond me. And I said, you deserve to have her back. If you love her more than I do, you deserve to have her back. Um, but God, I don't know how to lead her to you. I don't even know what a relationship with you looks like. Um, what I do know is all those vows that I made inwardly to my uncle, who kept saying I wasn't going to amount to anything, um, I vowed to 
not do drugs and not have a child out of wedlock and all I was realizing I'm doing everything I vowed not to do because I think I'm in control and I'm just living in sin and I had to repent and ask God to forgive me um, and one of the prayers I prayed in faith was God I need you to send her a father before she can even say the words dad and I'm trusting that you're going to do it. And I said, but I'm not going to pick him. Because if I pick him, it's going to be the wrong person. <laughs> so I need you to pick it and make it clear. This is the one. Um, like I said, I've been married for nine years. Um, I met my husband right when she could say the words dad. And so God faithfully answered that. And um, I knew that I was forgiven. So. What scriptures remind you then of the promises that God has given you, speaking of promises? Okay, so one of the scriptures, because even though I knew I was forgiven, those thoughts were still replay in my head. Um, but I have to constantly, intentionally replace those thoughts with God's truth. And in Psalms 103, it says, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us, just as a father has compassion <coughs> on his children. So the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. And so it's because God has compassion on me that he chose to remove those transgressions. And so this scripture just points me right back to God's goodness. So. I like it because it speaks not only of the forgiveness, but also the freedom from that guilt that you are carrying for so long. Um, so... What words of advice then would you give to us here today um, for someone who maybe has a past? How would you give us advice on how we can move forward? Okay, so if you look on your handout, I think the first thing we need to do is identify two extremes that women tend to fall in. And one of those extremes is to live in condemnation. And as you're writing that down, I want you to think about it. You know, the things in our past that we regret, we don't like it, we're not proud of it, so why isn't it okay to just sit around and think about how much we don't like those things? And I think Cheryl kind of touched on it. What we believe, our lives should reflect just that. And as children of God, we believe God's word is true. And in God's word, in Romans 8 and 1, it says, therefore there is now no condemnation in Christ Jesus. So it's that simple. There is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. And if you are in him, then this truth applies to you. And if your thoughts are not in line with this truth, then we have to acknowledge that, okay, we're in sin. We need to repent. And we need to come back to God's word. Also, living in condemnation means you're focusing on me. You're focusing on yourself. God's word points us back to Jesus. He should be our focus. Um, the other extreme that we can tend to fall in is to forget, all right? And I know, you're thinking, but you just told us not to think about all these things, so now I can't forget it either. Um, no, you cannot. Sorry, you don't get a pass to do that. Um, God's Word makes it very clear how He feels about His children remembering His goodness. Um, in Psalm 77, it says, I shall remember the deeds of the Lord. Surely I will remember your wonders of old. I will meditate on all your work and muse on your deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your strength among the peoples. 
you have by your power redeemed your people. So, if we shove those regrets, those mistakes, those failures, ultimately our sin aside, we're going to lose sight of the marvelous sanctifying work that God has done and is continuing to do in our lives today. And so, how do we avoid either extreme? Replacing those lies with God's truth. And it will always, always, always point us back to Jesus. Those are two great truths to dwell on if we're going to be thinking about things, thinking on those truths. And practically speaking, it's a big red flag. Like if we're only thinking of ourselves, then we need to wake up and say, all right, um, my thoughts are all inward. My thoughts are all in myself. And that should point us to be thinking mm -hmm. about Jesus. Right. And it's honoring to God to not forget our past. That's something I don't know that I've thought about it in that way before. Um, you want to honor God, right? <laughs> okay, there you go. Remember his goodness. <laughs> so in that way, if that's a constant reminder, do you have any um, scriptures that point you to remembering Jesus and what he's done for you, pointing it back to him? So one of those scriptures is 2 Corinthians 5.21. Is it on there? Yep. Yes. <laughs> so it says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So when I stand before God, and when you stand before God as believers, God's not going to see your past. He's not going to see those regrets. He's not going to see those mistakes. He's going to see the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So again, it is not about me. It's about reflecting the light of Jesus Christ. And so that, that's encouraging. Mm -hmm. The next scripture is Philippians 1.6 that says, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. For it, oh, I don't need to go on. So the same Savior who died for our sins is the same Savior who will work in us until he returns. And so it's really about being able to see the bigger picture in your life. And being able to see God's hand in all the details, see his goodness. Because when trials come, and they will come, you're going to need something to hold on to. And that's God's goodness in your life. So in trying to remember those things, do you have any memorials that help you remember? Does anyone know what that is at all? The shield. The symbol? Was that fleur-de-lis or something? Yes, good job! <laughs> so that's a fleur-de-lis symbol. And in Louisiana, it's a very, very popular symbol. You may have seen it on the same jersey. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, it's also like a really big decoration down south. Mm -hmm. And if you go to the painting classes, that's foolproof. You know, anybody can paint this. You don't need any experience. That's what you're going to paint, okay? Every single time. So I'm just telling you. It's just going to be different, but it's going to be the same thing. So when I came to Ohio, I thought, man, I really wish I could find one of those and put it in my house and just remember where I came from. When I came to Christ the Word, there was a lady who had some decoration lying around in her barn, and she was like, hey, you know what, I'm going to bring over some, some things I have laying around and just help you get started, and that was one of them, and she was like, 
So I got this, and I remember you said you were Creole, and I think this is French, and I thought you might like it. I was like, I love it. I have always wanted one. So um, it just reminds me of God goodness, because he knew I wanted one. She didn't know. But it also reminds me of my story, which started in Louisiana. God brought me out of my sin, and out of that state, of course, because I'm talking to you all. Um, and so your homework is, because you do have homework, <laughs> your homework is to pray. Ask God, what memorials has he given you to remember his goodness? Because he has indeed been good to you. And if you just ask him, he will show you. And, and set those memorials up as a reminder to point you back to Jesus. Thank you, Marlisa. Thank you for going beyond just those basic facts of your life and so that we can see how we have similar experiences. Um, I want to thank everyone here. And I realize as you signed up for this class that the title of this breakout session was Finding Peace in Your Past. And we haven't necessarily talked about the word peace much. However, peace never comes without a battle. And so what Marlisa's talked about to you today are those tools and those weapons that you need to fight the battle that will continue to come up. Like she said, it's not just a one-time thing. It's a, sometimes a daily thing or a minute thing in how to use the tools of not falling into those extremes, recognizing, am I just thinking about myself or am I thinking about Jesus? Am I thinking about condemnation? But there is no condemnation in Christ. And so when we, when we think on those lies, we're really saying Christ's death wasn't good enough to cover my sin. And so, or if we're saying, let's just forget, because the world tells me to just forgive and forget, but God tells us to forgive and remember his glorious works. of how God was with Marlisa all throughout her life. He was there on good days, and he was there on dark days. Actually, he orchestrated the days. It's always an encouragement to me, personally, when I'm in a dark day, to know God is with me. Maybe you're listening to this podcast today with a similar story to Marlisa. Maybe you've felt some of the things that she has dealt with, like discouragement, neglect, rejection, or even abuse. Well, here's what I keep hearing as I listened to Marlisa talk. God is with you, and God can redeem any situation for His glory. I wish that you personally knew Marlisa. She would just tell you the same thing. I hope you're encouraged today as you listened and are reminded that God knows your circumstances. And actually, He even planned circumstances in your life. And all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to His purpose. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you today that Marlisa had a heart to share her real story. I thank you for our listeners, and I pray that today each woman who's listening will be encouraged to know, believe, and trust that you, God, can redeem any difficult thing. It doesn't mean you always change everything to be the way we want it, but you do use circumstances in our lives to bring glory to yourself. And so I praise you for that. I pray that you will give encouragement to the women listening. In Jesus' name, amen. 
And remember, when everything around you is shaken, you can stand unshaken because of our rock and our fortress because of God. Until next time.